It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. But love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. Here on the podcast, we tell stories about homesteading, farming, and following your dreams. And now, this is episode number six for us, and so we're still in our earliest days, but I've got to say, guys, I've been really blown away by all the, the great support and feedback you've been giving us. Um, and, and, you know, so thank you for the emails, thank you for the reviews on the various podcast sites, thank you for sharing this with your friends. It's really cool to see the response so far, and, you know, I'm just very, very grateful for that. Uh, but one of the questions that uh, many of you have asked me is you wanted to hear a little bit more about what my deal is. Well, I am a wannabe farmer up here in northern Vermont. Right now on our farm, we have a whole bunch of baby trees that are held in sort of a startup orchard. And we also have a small duck operation. Basically, we keep khaki Campbell ducks for laying eggs. And because I'm a wannabe farmer and I'm just starting out, I have been obsessed with learning everything I possibly can about farming, the business of farming, things to consider, the pitfalls, the opportunities, how to build out a business plan, how to balance the various tasks and jobs that you have to deal with as a small business owner. That stuff has been fascinating for me and I very much wanted to learn as much as I can. YouTube videos are great, books are great, podcasts are great, they're all good mechanisms for, for learning. But one of the places that I've garnered some of the most knowledge has been from talking to farmers. Whether they're experienced farmers who've been growing you know, organic vegetables for 25 years, whether they're a conventional dairy farmer, or maybe they're doing some sort of rotational grazing strategy and selling meat uh, at a farmer's market. Kind of any type of farmer, I have found that every conversation I have with that farmer, I learn a little bit more and feel like I'm just a little bit more ready to make the leap myself. So on today's episode, I'm talking to Josh Satin of Satin Hill Farm down in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Josh is a very new farmer. He really is in the midst of his second full growing season right now. And for him, this is, this is his primary area of attention and activity. He's not focused on off-farm work. He's trying to build out a business, trying to figure out a way to be profitable. And I got to say, personally, I've got a lot of admiration for that. And so I sat down with Josh uh, and we had this conversation that covered a whole bunch of stuff. But I will say, when it was all said and done, I felt just a little bit more ready to go out there and start my own dang farm. So without dragging this out any longer, let me get to my conversation with Josh over at Satin Hill Farm. My wife and I both grew up in Boston. Um, we've moved around quite a bit. Um, after graduate school, uh, moved to Colorado. So lived in Boulder for five years. Moved back to Boston to have kids, be near family. And then after 
I don't know, four, four or five years in Boston. We just had enough of living there with the weather, expensive living, um, just people not being very cool. Like people are just nicer in the South. So we decided to move down here uh, almost four years ago um, and just sort of picked the spot we wanted to move to when we moved. Um, so we're here now and I don't think we're going anywhere, but we've sort of lived in a few places and, and we really like North Carolina a lot. So, so how would you contrast like Raleigh versus the Boston area, just in terms of the people? Get like, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so I I know you've got familiar in in the north, you know, you're familiar with the Northeast, and I just feel like, and I grew up in Boston, so when you grow up somewhere, you don't really know any different until you leave and then you come back. And after living in Colorado for five years, and I came back, and I remember just like walking my dog around the block and and talking to people, and they. I'd say hello and they'd be like, why are you, why are you talking to me? I'm just like, hi, I'm your neighbor. There's just, it's just, it's very busy. It's very quick. It's very much get out of my way. No one holds the door for you. You know, like when you're on the subway and you try to get out, someone's already coming in, you know, there's sort of just some of that common courtesy stuff. I just, it got to me after and driving, just you want to pull your hair out, just drive around the city. So um, down here, it's, it's a big mix. I mean, it's the Raleigh Durham area. There's a lot of people moving from elsewhere. Um, so there's a lot of northerners here. There's a lot of people from everywhere. So it's a big mix of people. Um, but it's great because you have a big mixture of backgrounds, education, um, different political views. Um, there's a lot of universities here. Um, so there's a lot of culture and a lot of like a lot of different things going on. So it's it's a nice area to live. Awesome. And now, did you guys move to the Raleigh area to start the farm or were you doing something before that? No, so the farm was not on the radar when we decided to move here at all. Um, we moved down here purely just to sort of change up our life and to find a better place to live and, and settle down so that our, we could raise our kids in a, in a nice place. Um, you know, cost of living is a huge difference. Uh, for our one bed, our three bedroom condo in, in the city in Boston, moved down here and for less money we bought a house with two acres. So, I mean, it was just sort of a lifestyle change for us. And, and, but but tell me about the farming component. Did that come once you got there? Uh, like what what drove that switch? Um, so the last bunch of years uh, before I went into this, I was a professional brewer. I worked at a few different breweries in Boston and then a couple here. Um, and after sort of wanting to leave the industry for a variety of reasons, um, I did and sort of looking for something else. I always I I like working for myself. I always have. I kind of was trying to go down that down that path and. I've always been a pretty environmentally conscious person um, and like, you know, driving a Prius and doing re and being really good at recycling doesn't really cut it after a while. You kind of want to do something more sustainable. So uh, we, you know, we started with, we got some chickens. Um, this was not before even we thought about a farm. We started getting chickens and um, we were just getting the goofiest looking chickens possible. Like this was a total, not a production situation. And eventually we got uh, some birds that were sick and, um, the only way to actually get rid of the thing that they had was to get rid of all the chickens and start over. So we did that. Um, and uh, when we restarted, I started doing a lot of research about permaculture. And I sort of went down that rabbit hole of, you know, sustainable agriculture and all that stuff. And so I sort of redid the whole situation. I went to a mobile coop. Um, and it sort of, you know, spiraled, spiraled from that and uh, sort of so it's like, all right, we should grow some of our food. And I'm like, of course, I'm going to set up like a market garden because, you know, I'm going to I'm just the kind of guy that's going to like go as hardcore as possible. So um, we started growing food. And then that was the spring of 
last year and a lot of our friends were like, hey, yeah, we'll buy food from you if you, if you have food. So we started putting uh, boxes together and um, very quickly I'm like, we need more beds. And then it was like, okay, this is turning into a business. Um, and at the time I was doing a lot of handyman work on the side too. It's pretty lucrative. Um, I don't really want to do it all, all the time, but it sort of fills in time and, and, and makes some money. So um, so that's sort of how it went down last year. Um, this year and right now, we're, we're making a big push to really add some more growing space and um, try to make money this year. Uh, last year was kind of a wash in terms of finances because um, I was also buying a lot of things to get the farm started. Yeah, no, I, I know what that means. Those starter costs are, are tough. They're not easy. Uh, talk, talk to me about that that uh, sort of reading rabbit hole that you described there because I think I kind of know what you mean. Like when I went from the process of having just, you know, rooftop potted tomatoes in Brooklyn to, you know, raised beds at a row house in D.C. to ultimately doing the farm, there was like a lot of reading, a lot of different books, a lot of different podcasts and stuff that I would look at that sort of fueled that progression. What were the things for you that that kind of drove your interest in the topic and really helped your education? Uh, YouTube was the biggest thing for me. I am definitely a visual person when it comes to learning. Um, I spent a lot of time in school. Don't get me wrong. I have way too much education. But um, I I prefer to watch uh, things rather than read things. And so YouTube was a huge thing for me. And it sort of started with, you know, watch a lot of homesteading stuff. And then it was like following along with some of the permaculture stuff and, and some then became a lot of market gardening stuff because it seemed like that was the best fit for us um, with our property and what we wanted to do. Um, in terms of books, um, you know, some of the classic market gardening books is, is, have really resonated with me. And not just in terms of like, hey, this makes a lot of sense, but here are the nuts and bolts to like do this and to make it work. Um, so, yeah, some of my biggest influences in, in the farming world have been um, – you know, J.M. Fortier and, and Curtis Stone and I have to say Richard Perkins as well. Um, he I don't know. I just I I really would like to do more regenerative stuff. And I'm doing some of that with my rotational grazing with my birds. But market gardening is really input intensive and it's you know, you're producing a lot of food and all those nutrients are going off the farm. So doing it in a regenerative way is tricky. And, and so um, I hope to go more down that that path in the future. Um, but, yeah, I mean. I didn't. I hadn't like uh, interned at another farm or anything like that in the past. Like I just, I just taught myself, and that's kind of how I am in general. Like I've learned how to do a lot of things just by teaching myself. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. That that education piece is is a biggie. Um, can you describe for me the conversation that you and your wife must have had when you were seeing that point of going from, "Hey, this is kind of fun. We're just growing some food here in the front yard," to yeah, this looks like it's actually a business. Like, what were those conversations or conversation like? I think that conversation is still happening. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we're – my wife and I, we support each other in, in the things that we do. And, um, you know, she recently went back to school for nursing, uh, which was her third degree after high school. Um, and so, I, you know, we, we sort of help each other through these, these situations. Um, I don't know. I mean, she – sort of lets me do this because I want to do it. And, um, it's, it's something that's important to me. Um, you know, making the finances work is really tricky. And I know that's, um, that's a, that's an issue for everybody. I mean, whatever you're doing, um, you know, I think with, especially when you're going out, uh, on, on your own, on a new business venture, like that's, that's always tricky to, to figure that out. So it's an ongoing discussion and we're trying to make it work. Um, but yeah, we're feeling, I'm feeling 
better about this season and that you know we're going to be pulling in more money for sure. Now, now as you're looking at this season, what does your expansion plan look like? like what, what, what's going from year one to year two? Like what, what does it take to make that leap? Yeah, so uh, just to give you a sense of scale for our farm, we're, uh, we have a two-acre lot uh, kind of in a suburban area, um, heavily wooded area, um, but we had a little bit of area that was not covered, and so we grew on that last year. Uh, and just to give you a sense of scale, we are a tiny farm. Uh, total cultivated area was under a tenth of an acre last year. So um, we had uh, 19 50-foot beds last season. Um, and we're going to push out to 31 this season. So we'll be just about an eighth of an acre of, of gardening space. And if you sort of farm in that market gardening, urban farming kind of methods, like the yields are awesome. Um, it's very labor intensive, um, but, you know, we don't have a tractor. Uh, we don't have any mach- heavy machinery. The, like the most powerful thing I have is run by a cordless drill. Um, so it's it's super low tech in that sense. And um, we also made a big push to cut down about a half an acre of trees uh, like about a month ago, which was a huge investment for us, um, not just financially, but also like I don't like to cut down trees. So um, it's what it's done is open up a lot more sunshine onto our garden beds and that other half acre that got cleared, we're going to turn that into really nice pasture for the birds. Um, and so it just takes a lot of work, you know, um, but the expansion going forward has been a couple of small investments. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple tools, like a bigger refrigerator, stuff like that. Um, but mainly, like, once you get going and you want to add beds, it's like buying more compost. And, you know, the scalability is easy if you have the space. Yeah, you know, that, that's one of the things I, I find as I talk to a lot of people who are thinking about trying to make the leap of, of growing their own food or moving out somewhere and, and doing something like that is they, they have this vision, and I know I was guilty of that when I was looking at our farm, of, oh, I need acres and acres of land to do all the things I want to do. But when you start to look at the you know intensive models that you can have, you don't need a lot of space at all. No, definitely not. I mean, it's, I mean just to give, give people a sense of um, yield and stuff like that, and you can, you, know, you can look up like Curtis Stone stuff, and he'll tell you the same thing, but um, you know, like we're growing, we're growing lettuce for salad mix and we're doing, you know, my beds are 30 inches wide by 50 feet long and I get 50 pounds on my first cut. Yeah. You know, let's say you're selling it cause we're selling, we're direct marketing. So you're selling it $10 a pound. That's $500. And that's only been in, in the summer. That's only in the ground for four or five weeks. Right. And so, so if you have a good succession planning, you have a good income stream that can come from that. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to be able to sell it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people when they're starting, um, you you focus on all the nuts and bolts of like how to grow it and how to how to do all these things. But it's like, man, you got to spend so much effort into selling. If you can grow whatever you want, but if you can't sell it, it's not worth anything. So, so what have you so, done to to boost that selling angle? And was that a big part of your thinking initially, or is that something you've had to develop? Definitely have to develop. Um, marketing is, I think, is just underlooked by a lot of people that are on the production side of things. Um, so it started last year with, as I told you, friends and, and friends of friends being like, yeah, yeah, we'll take a veggie box. And I sort of started off as more like a CSA in that I was trying to do very mixed boxes, like lots of different kinds of produce. And going against the advice of a lot of people that know a lot better than me, say, you need to have more land to do this. And they're totally right. Like I was growing all sorts of stuff and I was a crappy farmer like the first half of last year, like not having a lot of success with stuff and 
you know, you got to realize that that's the way it works and every crop is different in, in some way and you have to learn its ins and outs. And so throughout the season, I started whittling down the crops to, um, you know, what grew well because you want to grow the thing that grows the best in your area and what I liked growing and what I think would be worth the most money in terms of high value and high rotation. And throughout the season, it started whittling down to just greens. And so I'm basically growing greens, um, salad greens, baby greens, microgreens. Um, and that's sort of where it wound up towards the end of last season. And that's really where I'm going now. And uh, so what I do, I sell weekly boxes to customers and I deliver to their house. And um, it's different than a CSA and where I don't take the money all up front at the beginning of the season. I feel like that model is it's an old model and I think it works in some situations, but I just didn't feel comfortable with it at first because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to produce and I don't want to take people's money and then feel really bad. And then also cash flow, like I feel weird about having all my money up front and then that's it. Like you're just, you know, you're already, you're already done with that. So yeah, it's week by week. Um, most of my customers get a box every week. If they go on vacation or something happens, they just let me know. And I just don't put a box together for them. So the number of families sort of decreased over the year as my boxes became more specialized and it became not a good match for everybody. But now it's, it's starting to pick up now that I'm like, this is what I do. If you don't need a lot of greens and you don't have enough people in your house, like this may not be the right box for you. So finding, finding the right match has been really important for me. Do you, do you just sell to consumers or do you have like a wholesaler or, or stores or restaurants that you sell to as well? Um, I have one restaurant account and I plan on branching out to more, uh, in a couple weeks. Um, I, I also grow microgreens and I haven't had a ton of luck selling microgreens to restaurants. I think there's just a lot of people in this market. I can't speak for everywhere, but there's just a lot of people that are figuring out they can do this in their garage or basement or whatever. And, and I think there's a lot of growers out there that aren't even growing field crops. They're just growing microgreens. So when I went to restaurants, they're like, we don't need microgreens. I'm like, okay. Um, so I'm really going to really push for, uh, growing as much lettuce as possible this year. Um, I really like growing it and it's tricky to grow in the heat in the South. Um, and the chefs that I've been talking to, uh, what they've told me is that all the local lettuce is grown hydroponically and it just doesn't have the same like structure to it. They're like, it doesn't stand up on a plate. Well, when we put a heavy dressing on it, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think that's, that's the direction I'm going with, uh, with that. And, uh, yeah, I do want to get a couple of restaurant accounts. Um, having worked in a brew pub for three years, I, I understand the whole thing going on in the back of house and how the chefs work and stuff like that. So, what's yeah. it what's it like to walk into a restaurant and have that conversation? Like, tell me, what does like a sales call around a restaurant look like? So, sales is not completely natural to me. I think some people have it, and some people don't. Um, Although I feel like if I can if I can sit down with with someone I can I can usually get my point across and my sort of passion comes through and uh, you know you bring products I, I try to I, I haven't done like a cold walk in where I just like hey I'm Josh Satin from Satin Hill Farm I have greens and you know I'd love you to try them um, but I you know usually try to set it up if I can get a connection through a friend of a friend or something like that or you know chefs know other chefs kind of thing and try to set up a meeting go in bring a bunch of stuff for them to sample bring a price sheet. Um, usually if you make a, an appointment with a chef, if you can make it, if you can actually get an appointment, uh, and set a time and go in, like they'll sit down and talk with you and, you know, hear about your farm and, and that sort of thing. And it's gotta be right match, uh, uh, you know, for you and for them. Um, so that is definitely something I'm looking forward to this season. Mm. No, it, it seems like it's an important part of a business that, you know, having multiple distribution channels and trying to get each one stood up isn't easy to do. 
No, and uh, I the, I think the obvious thing to do when you first start is farmers markets because you literally can show up with whatever you have harvested and put it on the table, and you don't have to stress about oh I don't have enough carrots this week I don't have enough arugula this week because that's what I need. I mean, with chefs like they're going to want basically the same thing every week. Um, you know, once they're like yeah you're on you know we're using your lettuce for our salad so we need 12 pounds a week from you or whatever it is. That's a very different production model than growing stuff and a CSA where you kind of put your box together with what you have. And um, so I think it's, I just didn't want to do the farmer's market. I wasn't willing to give up my Saturdays. Um, I got two young kids and a wife and, you know, at least if I'm, if I have work to do here, at least I'm home, you know? Um, so there's that. And I don't really have much interest at this time with doing grocery stores and, and retail and stuff like that. So those are, those are my two sales outlets right now. Cool. Talk to me about the uh, poultry side of your farm. What are you doing with birds? So um, it's egg production. Um, and we decided a while ago, I explored doing meat birds. And um, just uh, my wife was not so keen on the idea. And um, that's just that's it pretty much. Um, but I, I think I would love to do it at some point if, if we could figure it out. But it's on the cards. And it's really easy to get distracted, Morgan, like, look at this shiny thing and look at that shiny thing. And, you know, we could, we, oh, we'll just, we we'll just throw this little thing in there and, oh, we'll just do this. But I, you got to just narrow it down. Otherwise, you just, you're not going to be good at whatever you do. That's just my opinion. And I, I figured that out through like brewing, you know, places where I'd brew like just a couple of beers over and over again in a production sense. You get really good at them. But when you brew like 20 or 30 different beers, like none of them are really dialed in, you know? Uh, so with poultry, um, we, got a lot of ducks we had i don't know probably almost 50 ducks and um and a lot of them we'd raised since ducklings and it was just a lot of emotional attachment to them and um we were going to do duck eggs um because they sell for a premium and i figured going to restaurants with um our high-end greens and high-end duck eggs you know pasture raised uh duck eggs um that would be a great match and open a lot of doors for me um but, you know, after after that changed and we had to get rid of our ducks, we went back to chickens. And uh, it actually kind of it's it's cool now because uh, my families that are taking greens boxes actually mostly prefer the chicken eggs to the duck eggs. So uh, I, I sell it as a value add uh, or an add on product to my boxes so they can add it. Some families get a dozen every week. Some just add when they want it. But um, and it helps. Honestly, it helps sell the boxes, too, because they're like, oh, I can get eggs from you, too. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so right there, like, you know, it's a, an extra, whatever it is per week. Um, so we're increasing our, uh, I mean, our, we have all the chickens now we have a bunch that are younger too. Um, and so our flock will be up probably close to 50. Um, and we'll be pumping up quite a bit of eggs, but yeah, we're doing the rotational grazing and, um, we found, uh, I found a place, a uh, farm nearby I can get local feed from, which has been like amazing. I just, I'm so happy to finally make that connection. I was mixing my own feed for well over a year. I couldn't find anything I was happy with that was cost effective as well. And local is more important to me than pretty much any label that's on there. And like, I, I go to the farm and talk to the guy who, and I get it the day after it's milled and he tells me exactly what's in it. And that's been really great too. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I'm doing with the chickens. But I also use them a lot in, in, you know, sort of different ways. Like right now, they they prep the gardens for me. Um, I if I'm prepping new garden space, I put the chickens out there because everything's portable. So I move the coop, I move the electric netting, 
and I put them out there and they scratch and they poop and they, they do what they do. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, it's all cleared. It's all level. It's cleared. And I can throw in a bunch of either soil, compost, comp, or, you know, whatever. They spread it out for me. And then I move them off and then I can, you know, rake it smooth and put out any amendments, put down some compost and just build beds. So they're doing a lot of work for me right now. Um, and then as I developed the pasture, it got totally destroyed with the trees because uh, they had an excavator and a skid steer in here. So you, once we get that developed, then it's going to be, you know, just straight up pasture raised, rotational grazed chickens uh, for like the best possible eggs I can I can get. Um, so that's the plan with that. I don't know if uh, the eggs are going to wind up going to restaurants or not, but um, my my family seems to really like them. So, so I'm also doing a similar thing that you were looking at with the duck eggs and that, you know, everybody around here has backyard chickens. You can get a dozen eggs for like, I don't know, three bucks a pop. And it just, it was one of those things that wasn't going to make sense financially. And that's what brought me into ducks. Tell me your duck story though. Cause I know it's, it's been sort of a little bit of some ups and downs. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, before I get to the duck story, uh, the thing with the chicken eggs is it's all about your market. You know, you got to know your your context and who and who the people you're selling to. Um, parts of the area that I live in and I sell to, like you know, it's it's a more affluent area, and so they're already paying you know six to eight dollars a dozen at Whole Foods for eggs. You know, so I can already I can sell them that no problem. If I lived in an area that's more rural like where you live, and you're only gonna get three dollars a dozen for chicken eggs, it doesn't really make sense. You're probably spending almost that in feed. Um, so yeah, so it has to make sense for you. Um, and it's funny cause I talked to people who don't live in the, you know, who live a little bit further rural and they're like, yeah, we can't make any money on eggs. I'm like, well, you have to do a lot of marketing. You have to make that connection with the customers. But so yeah, so back to the ducks, um, we have, uh, as I said, I live in a suburban area and, uh, no one's on less than an acre here. Um, and, uh, there's, a. a an HOA, I'm not an HOA, but there's an HOA uh, behind us, and um, they were getting pretty upset with the noise. Um, and I don't blame them. Like, you get 50 female ducks, and it's loud, uh, and it doesn't stop. They're they're up all night. Like they they make a lot of noise. Um, and so they had no legal reason to come after me. Uh, I was totally within my right legally to keep ducks, and we're outside of city limits and there's there's absolutely no legal reason they could come after me, but I just decided that um, hey like these are my neighbors and and being a part of this community and uh, being a good person and just trying to live in, in harmony with everyone else around like it just made sense like we had to we had to make the change um, and none of them are even my customers it doesn't matter it's um it's something that you know if 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 you're doing something that's upsetting somebody and you can change it like it's not worth it you know. So we sold all our ducks. It was pretty painful. Um, they all went to a lot of different places, but um, yeah. So we did that, and then back to chickens. So um, it's a it was a tough transition, um, but the decision wasn't that hard to make in some ways because it was like, well, what are we gonna do? You can't keep them quiet. Is there's nothing you can do? Right now, that, that, that's one of those things where I feel like we're really lucky here because you know we've got right now about twenty ducks. We're going to expand out again as the weather warms up. And, you know, the nearest neighbor is, oh gosh, maybe a thousand yards from where the duck house is. And so that's enough that it's like, you know, it's enough to keep people away. It doesn't create any major problems. But yeah, if you're in a suburban, suburban setting, the females can be noisy. <laughs> 
so loud. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Now that I've put in time with both chickens and ducks and sort of see the differences, I think moving forwards, I think chickens make more sense for us just in terms of how they treat the land. Um, they're different. They're very different animals. Um, and sort of, I didn't really understand that until you really take care of them for a while. Yeah, no, people often think that they're sort of interchangeable of, oh, I'll get some chickens or some ducks and, and they just do such different things with, yeah, what they do to the land, how they handle insects, how they handle plants, their behavior, the water, the water, the water (laughs) (laughs) that, no, that that's, I, I call that the code to cracking for ducks. Like if you can figure out a good water system you can nail ducks and ducks might be the right thing for you. But if you don't have the patience for that, like it will drive you insane (laughs) because they will make up such a mess. (laughs) They, yeah. And they're smarter than chickens. They, I mean, you can hurt them, but like you can't hurt chickens, but they also like, they get into trouble. I don't know. They're just different. I I can't really explain it, but I just, I noticed the impact they had on the land was very different. Yeah. Um, Because once it gets wet, they just get their, their bills in there and they just tear it up. Unlike chickens, when they just scratch and it's just I, when it gets really wet, they were just doing serious damage. Yeah. The, I mean, the experiment I have going on right now is so I've got a let's see, it's about a hundred by fifty foot yard that I am keeping the ducks in for the winter. So you know they're in the house during the day, during night. I let them out during the day. They go through and poop and splash water and make a mess and dig around. Uh, but you know, right now there's still two feet of snow on the ground, so. They can't really do too much damage, but they're leaving a lot of fertility there. My plan is that I'm going to till that up come spring and then start to plant a whole bunch of corn, squash, beans, and just really make that a big food production garden and just try to take advantage of them. But you're totally right. It's it's all about the different type of impact that that animal has on the land and then using it to your advantage. Totally. And I, I really want to – I know that because especially that they drink so much water, they're they, – their poop is more like spread out. And so they really can help bring a lot of fertility back to a property very quickly. And, you know, being in a suburban area where a lot of it was covered by trees and there really wasn't anything, wasn't a lot growing. I was really hoping to do that. And, and, and it, it was amazing. Like in the year and a half, I've been rotating chickens and, and, and ducks around here. Like the soil just changed color. Uh, it was awesome. So yeah, you just gotta, you gotta think about what's right for you. I think, and you'll probably figure this out, but like for me, duck eggs were a harder sell to a lot of people. Um, I think they're, they taste better. Um, but, and there's a lot of benefits to them. Um, I know you have your own personal, <laughs> issue, but, um, at there were, they were harder to sell. And I think for some people, um, just the fact that it's a duck egg, like I've never had a duck egg. And I'm like, well, they're more nutritious. They have more protein and fat and they, they have their texture and blah, blah, blah. And you know, they're more flavorful. And it's like, even if you tell them all those things, like they, the first time they take a bite of it, they're if they take a bite of it, they're already gonna have a preconceived notion that they don't like it, and I find that true a lot of times with duck eggs. So for me, it was an easier sell with chicken eggs because people are are familiar with it. Yeah, no, you're you're right about that. I think, um, you know, just for people who are listening to this who might not know the backstory, so I am a duck farmer who's allergic to duck eggs. I um, didn't even know that going into this. I actually thought I had eaten duck eggs before and been fine. But once we started getting eggs here on our farm, I started to get sick. And I will say that has made it harder to sell them in, in a lot of circumstances. Because, you know, for people who know duck eggs and like duck eggs, it's still an easy sell. And if you can find those people, it's actually pretty easy and straightforward to get them to buy. But 
for everybody else who you're trying to introduce the idea to, it's really hard because you immediately get that question. Oh, so do you like duck eggs? And I've got to be like, well, you know, <laughs> they're not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a tough yeah, topic, it, it, it really sort of queers the deal real quick. <laughs> but, yeah. So, so as you're looking out now and, and into the future, what are your plans? Are you looking to find more space? Are you looking to maximize the space you've got? What, what's your plan? Um, I think there's a lot of room for us to grow here. Um, just with the new cleared space, I feel like I bought a half an acre of land. Like it's unbelievable. There was probably 30 to 40 trees they took down, like tall, tall trees. So it's a complete blank slate right now. Um, so there's plenty of room. Like if we want to keep pushing out beds, like I, I can, I can't, there's, even if I cultivated all this land that we have that's cleared, like I wouldn't be able to handle all that myself probably. That would be really hard. So I think at this point it's it's really maximizing uh, the space. And, you know, I sort of got asked like towards the end of last season, like, oh, you're going to be adding beds? And I was like, no, definitely not. Like I have so much more – I can get so much more out of the space that I have. But And now that I'm like trying to raise the bar a little bit and set my goals a little bit bigger, um, I'd like to have a little bit more flexibility with having more space. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to be – adding over 50% production this year in terms of bed space. So that's going to be a lot for us. Um, and um, so I, I can't speak for next year or the year after. Um, other goals I have, um, I really believe that I want to help as many farmers um, get started. And not that I'm an expert, but I've gone through a lot of the hard stuff already. Um, and sort of connecting with more farmers and, and seeing what I can do to help people grow better food. So if that's workshops teaching um i you know i was i was a high school teacher before i was a brewer i did that for five years so i love teaching and explaining and helping and, and that sort of thing so i i don't know i think it's this 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 situation i have now could lead to a lot of different things down the road as you're now still in those early stages of year two though what sort of advice or lessons have you learned that you'd want to pass on to others now at this point as they think about getting into market gardening um Keep your real, keep your expectations realistic. Um, take advice of people that have done this before. Um, not that I didn't do all of that, but there's you can watch you can watch YouTube and watch these these market gardeners just crushing it, just absolutely. You're like, whoa! I got how many hundreds of thousands of dollars on how many acres, and and you're like, yeah, I can do that. You just follow these steps, but no, it's it's hard. And it's, it's a challenge and it's a grind. And the first year is not going to be what you think it's going to be. And so keeping your expectations realistic, I think is huge. Um, but just start growing something, start plant something, like get some birds, like do, like do something. Um, you don't need a ton of space. Like if you're in a, if you're in a more urban or small suburban area and you don't think you can do it on your property, do it on someone else's property. Um, I love, I'm giving you lots of pieces of advice here, but uh, I like portability. I like flexibility. I feel like everything you do, you change your mind the next month or the next year. For example, my hoop house that I built, my high tunnel, I can't move it. I DIY'd it. I didn't really save any money. I spent way too much time on it. Buy the kit. You can move it around. Like get, get a caterpillar tunnel. You, tunnel. you can move it wherever you need it. Um, things like that. Like I, I really like the portability and flexibility of things. Um, because you always wind up changing your mind after you start doing it a while and you're like, oh, this doesn't make sense here or I don't think I need this thing. Um, just keep it simple. Grow. If you're really going to do market gardening, like 
pick a couple of crops and really figure out how to grow them. Keep it simple. That's that's what I have to say. farmer a new farmer who's just starting out who's learning a ton who's making mistakes but learning from those mistakes who's starting to build something that's meaningful both for him personally but then also brings value to folks in his community who are buying his food it's just so exciting to talk to somebody like josh it gets me amped up it gets me pumped it makes me want to go out there and keep figuring out ways to make my duck operation more profitable keep figuring out ways to build out a really longer term farm business plan. Uh, it's it's exciting. And uh, yeah, also Josh is a really good guy. If you want to learn more about Josh, uh, the best place to check out is his Instagram feed. It's uh, Satin Hill Farm. Josh posts some incredible stuff about what he's doing with his vegetable operation and what he's doing with the chickens. And it's just really good stuff. And if you're ever curious about being a market gardener, you can learn a ton just by looking at some of the photos and some of the the write-ups that he attaches to those photos. There's some great stuff there. So that's it. That's all we've got for this episode. I look forward to talking to you guys again. Um, as always, you know, I really appreciate all the support and feedback. If you want to send me an email and get in touch, you can uh, email us at goldshawfarm at gmail.com. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We post a ton of stuff on there showing you the progress of our attempt to build a farm in Vermont. Uh, we do about two new videos each week, and uh, we try to tell a good story along the way. I'm exceptionally appreciative to the fact that folks are enjoying listening to me having some long, rambling conversations with some very interesting friends I have. And so we're going to continue making this podcast each week, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Also, let me know what you think. Let me know if you're interested in certain guests or certain topics you want us to cover. We're really open to it. Uh, a good place to share that information, too, is on the uh, Goldshaw Farm Podcast Facebook group. You can just go on Facebook and look for Goldshaw Farm Podcast. And uh, there's a whole group of people now who are having some pretty interesting conversations. I'm also giving some previews, and I might even start live streaming some of our interviews well ahead of the actual podcast airing itself. So uh, be sure to sign up. Uh, we're we're kind of becoming a cool little tribe over there. So that's it. Um, as always, let me leave you with Mr. Keith Pierce and our awesome theme song. And I hope you guys have a great day. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. A city life, yeah. But we would dream of the fields under the stars I fall asleep inside its arms The love is here at Gold Shop Farms The love is here at Gold Shop Farms